Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of work, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I found a quote from a gentleman named Artie, A-R-T-E, Nathan, N-A-T-H-A-N. He served as the Chief Human Resources Officer for Steve Wynn's Gaming Companies. Aha! From 1983. Let's see what the quote is. Allow people to be themselves. People want to be great, and great is all in capital letters, G-R-E-A-T. Great companies, let them be great. I think Mr. Nathan was really wanting to impress on us the word great. So what are we talking about today? In a world where everything that can be automated will be automated, come on, look around you, you know it's true, business organizations need to become more human than ever. Remember, it's mostly people who are still working for you, even if you've got some bots and chatbots and robots and AI lurking in the background or even in the front lines. Why is this important? Well, think about it. We're people. Our human abilities are we create with passion. We have empathy. We collaborate. We innovate. We use all of these together, and this gives us a competitive edge over machines. That's the survival of the humans. So question for our listeners out there today. Is your organization positioned to elevate human capabilities over the same old traditional ways that HR used to tell employees, you must be an Obedient, obedient employee. You must be diligent. You must persevere. You must show up on time and you must give everything to the company because we hired you for your expertise and to get the job done. Really? I think it's changed. So are you ready for the future of work? And that's what we're here to talk about. Welcome. I am Bonnie D. Graham and this is the Future of Work with Game Changers Radio. And our title of this episode is Future of Work, Staying Human in a High-Tech World. That indeed is the challenge. Let me tell you who my three panelists are. Let me just give you a little bit of background and then we will hear from them with their opening quotes and we'll find out who they are in a little while. So in just a moment, I'll be introducing you to Lars Gaeta, G-A-E-D-E. He's a journalist and the co-founder of Work Awesome. I love the name of that company. Second up, I'll be introducing you to Dr. Christian Kugelmeier. He is one of three founders of a company called Vorsprung at Work I'm going to spell that V-O-R-S-P-R-U-N-G, all caps, and then at work, small letters after that. We'll be finding out what he does. And rounding out the panel is Gunter Pecht, P-E-C-H-T, if you're looking for him, Global Vice President, Innovative Business Solutions, Future of Work at SAP. So welcome to my three panelists. And we're going to start off with Lars's quote. He sent us a quote from, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Rainer Maria Rilke, R-I-L-K-E. And this is from the poem Patience. Rene Carl Wilhelm Johann Joseph Maria Rilke, okay, that's the full name, 1875 to 1926, better known simply as Rainer Maria Rilke, was a Bohemian Austrian poet and novelist widely recognized as one of the most lyrically intense German language poets. He was considered 
mystical. And the quote I'm going to read to you is from the poem, Patience. Let me read it. It's a long one. And then Lars will tell us how he picked this for our topic today. Quote, be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you will not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Lars, what a beautiful poem. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Unfortunately, I didn't write this, but I find it very beautiful as well. <laughs> it is very beautiful. I hope I did justice to it. Were you happy with my reading? Please tell me yes. Absolutely. I liked it. I liked it Thank a lot. You. Very Thank well done. You. Thank you. So tell me, our topic <laughs> sure. today is the future of work, highlighting human yes. values. How does this poem relate? Talk to me. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting because it's actually um, addressing what we, we've all been doing um, so much. So we, 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 we're going to talk today about the future of work and, and you know, mm -hmm. in my work, organizing conferences on the future of work and writing about the future of work and so on. We, we, you know, our, our business is essentially looking into the future and trying to figure out what, what do we need, what do we need to do, what, do we, what, what kind of, what's, what's happening Right, and mm -hmm. sometimes I think it's quite it's important to do that for organizations, for us as society. But as a human being, it can actually be a little bit um, distracting from the present. And I think what he wants to say is that we should, as humans, not forget to really be very um, present and very conscious about what's happening right now in us and around us, and that a lot of the questions we are always trying to answer will actually answer themselves if we manage to just really live the present. So I think what I, what I like about it is that it kind of reminds me of not getting lost in the future, which is very easy to do, and, um, you know, not to, to just forget the present, because uh, it's so, so interesting to think about the future. But at the same mm -hmm. time, we should also really try to uh, not forget that it's important to um, be happy in the here and now. And I think as an individual, it's actually... Like being happy actually means very much being in the here and now and very focused in the here and now. So I think this um, very ambivalent idea um, of how we can deal with questions about the future and the present is very interesting and um, that struck with me in that poem. Thank you, Lars. Very eloquent explanation. And I'm going to pick on one word here and just chat with you about it for a moment. The title of the poem, Patient. I'm wondering if mm -hmm. we could stre stretch it a little bit and say to human beings, that's who are, as far as I know, we don't have any bots listening to us, but we could be surprised <laughs> one day, uh, to saying to yeah. humans, yes, the bots are here. Yes, artificial intelligence. Yes, we're teaching machines to learn from their own experiences. We're giving them a human-created algorithm them, but they're going to run with it. But be patient. We will still be allowed to be humans. We will still be here. We will still bring our passion, our empathy, our innovative spirit to the table wherever it is. Do you think that there's a, another element we could look at that we're saying to humans, be patient, we still matter? What do you think? Am I going in a good direction there? Uh, well, I, I would certainly say I hope so, and I think <laughs> history tells us that it's very it's very likely that we will still matter in the future. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, patience in general is certainly not a bad idea. It, it, you know, these discussions about future of work they can be a little bit fear driven. They can be a little bit um, hysterical at times, right? So I mm -hmm. think being patient and being kind of uh, 
calm and you know kind of observant um, but but not afraid of things is certainly a good idea when it comes to looking into the future of work. Thank you very much. It's a big topic and we're tackling it today. Very appreciative. And Lars, we'll come back to you in a few minutes and find out what you do at Work Awesome. I love the name of your company. I can't wait to talk to you, but we're going to go around and see what else the other introductory quotes are. So next up around the table, Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer, co-founder at Vorsprung at Work. And Christian, may I call you Christian or would you prefer to be Dr. K or Dr. Christian? Who do you want me to call you? Christian? Please, Bonnie. Christian is perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I want to check. I have great respect for advanced degrees. have many in my family. I don't have one, but I try to be respectful. Christian has sent us a quote from the Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama, religious name Tenzin Gyatso, shortened from Jetson Jonfel Nuagang Lobsang Yeshi Tenzin Gyatso, born in 1935, is the current Dalai Lama. Dalai Lamas are important monks of the Gelug, G-E-L-U-G, Gelug School, the newest school of Tibetan Buddhism, which was formerly headed by the Gandhan Tripas. Uh, and I won't read you any more, but that's interesting. And here is the quote. This is a good one, too. We can live without religion and meditation, but we cannot survive without human affection. Wow, Christian, that kind of hits you, doesn't it? Talk to me. Well, it does hit you, doesn't it? Um, yes, um, you know, believing that we can live without religion, um, you know, to a lot of people that might be unimaginable, but I don't want to criticize religion in any way, but it's, you know, as humans, we're being thrown onto the planet and we're trying to get, you know, as healthy and as happy as we can be from A to B. Um, and um, more often than not, we forget, you know, that we are actually human beings, that we have feelings, that we have emotions, that we have mm-hmm. needs. And we cannot be without one another. Um, and that's the essential thing of human beings. If you, when a baby is born and if you deprive that baby of any sort of social contact, that baby will not be able to develop a conscience. So um, it's clear as that we need each other to get through life in, uh, in a worthy manner. And um, especially in the business world, that's something that we've completely, completely forgotten uh, because we tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to then sort of start, you know, becoming isolated and, and businesses sometimes are being run like machines and if we forget the human affection in the workplace, if we forget that we're essentially there for one another, to care for one another and to, you know, to just set up the lives that we can live the best we can, we're in a world of loss and in a world of completely unused potential, which is something that hopefully won't happen. So... You know, when you're looking at what religion has done over the over the decades, over the centuries, um, you know, you can definitely argue about the purpose of that, but uh, you can't argue about human affection and about what we owe to one another and what makes our lives worthwhile. If I ask all of you panelists or Bonnie or anybody as to what your what matters most in your life, it's always going to be people. It's always going to be the way that we're dealing with one another. And uh, I feel that's just the most important thing that we have in our lives and we should take care of it the best we can and uh, cherish that we have one another. That's basically what I'm talking about. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think I needed to, I need now to amend and update my intro when I said our human abilities to create with passion, to empathize, collaborate, to innovate, give us a competitive edge over machines. I should have added in there with affection, with caring, right? With love. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay, so we we go back and we we update the opening. Thank you very much, Christian. I love the quote, and and I know there was no criticism intended in that quote. Uh, it just is very sure. telling, and that's something that we are we see movies about robots falling in love in junkyards, and can they empathize, and can they shed a tear if something sad happens? And that's a big question: is what happens to feelings? And that's a song, and I'm not going to sing it. A lot to talk about. Thank you, Christian. We appreciate it. And now let's go to our third panelist, Gunter Pecht at SAP. And Gunter has sent us a wonderful, really good quote from Henry Ford, 1863 to 1947, American captain of industry and a business magnet. And I think magnet, I know it's spelled M-A-G-N-A-T-E, but you can probably say M-A-G-N-E-T as well because he attracted business. He's the founder of the Ford Motor Company and the sponsor of the development of the assembly line technique of mass production. He did not invent the automobile, and Ford did not invent the assembly line. He developed and manufactured the first automobile that many middle-class Americans could afford and converted the automobile from an expensive curiosity, say what? People didn't say that back in the day, into a practical conveyance that would profoundly impact the landscape of the 20th century and beyond. He's credited with Fordism, mass production of inexpensive, expensive goods coupled with high wages for workers. So he was he was in his time and ahead of his time. Here is the quote Gunter has found. And Gunter, I researched this and to see if it really was from Henry Ford. And I think it was. I, I did a lot of investigation on this and it's a funny quote coming from him. But here we go. Why is it every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? <laughs> I have to laugh. Gunter Pax, how are you? Hey, how are you, Bonnie? Um, actually, uh, Henry Ford also said, uh, you can order any kind of car uh, with any kind of color from, from, my, from my company as long as it's black. So uh, I find this, this, this uh, uh, statement one of the most cynical statements I came across when it comes to how we work together. And uh, unfortunately, it's, it's still the main attitude of many of today's business leaders who still treat people as resources and not as people or human beings. And I think... Uh, we definitely have to change this. I think we don't live in the 19th, 19th century anymore, so, where we had a, an extremely high degree of automation, where we need lots of manual tasks to be accomplished by a poorly educated workforce. We had ill-informed customers and quite stable mass markets, um, and the main goal for companies was uh, efficiency and scalable and, and being, being scalable for the market. And uh, today, everything has changed, right? We have extremely high informed customers, an extremely high mm-hmm. educated workforce. Um, our, our, our goal is no longer about just scalable efficiency. It's all about being agile, being innovative, extremely volatile markets. And, uh, but we still live in the old business management systems that have been established in the early 19th century with hierarchies, top-down decision-making, mm-hmm. managers who call, tell people what to do, how to do, instruct them, and, uh, uh, and control their accomplishments. We have to change it. It's no longer adequate if, if we keep on doing like this. Uh, I personally believe these businesses, these companies, will not survive. So we have Thank to radically change on how we yep. think about people, how we organize, and how we organize work, and how we foster all that capabilities of the human uh, being within. 
We, we do indeed, and I, I was intrigued with the idea that, that the word brain is in here, Gunter, in this quote, because we think today when we see all these emerging new innovative technologies that the brain will become the machine learning brain, the artificial intelligence artificial brain, if you will. And we really need to change the ways of work so that people know that we know our brains are appreciated. Our brains are a precious resource. We need to keep them sharp. We need to keep our employees learning and growing so that we can all continue to contribute. Would you agree with that, Gunter? Absolutely. If, if, yeah. there's, there's Steve Jobs who, who, who phrased it quite nicely, right? It doesn't make sense to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. So, <laughs> yes. It's... It's not just the brain, it's also our heart and our soul and our, us as a whole human being. And also there's a mis- misconception about this whole idea of artificial intelligence like we had with the idea of the homo economicus. We are not homo economicus, so it's, we are human beings with emotions, with different thoughts, and it's, we have to use this capability of us. That's right, it's and cherish it. extremely I have important to- for us. This, I have to tell you something funny about the second quote you gave from Henry Ford. People can order a car in any color as long as it's black. The reason for that, the investigation shows, the reason for that is that he discovered that black was the paint that that dried the fastest on the assembly line, and they needed efficiency. (laughs) So it was, yeah, you can have any color you want, but we're going to give you a black car because that's the paint that's going to make the process faster than the other colors. So that's just a little side story. Thank you so much, Gunter. Pleasure to meet you. And let's go around the table now. Now we get to find out a little more. We've already learned a lot about our panelists through the quotes they selected and how they related the quotes to our topic of the day. Now we're going to find out who they really, really are. So I'm going to start with Lars Gaeta. Lars, three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink that makes you feel powerful and happy and human? And number three, what is work awesome, and how did you found it? So, three questions, Lars Gaeta, You're up first. Right. So, uh, I, I'm actually sitting in my kitchen in New York in Bushwick right now. Um, ah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not, not too exciting, but it's uh, you know it's a it's a good place to be, and it's a very lovely neighborhood, and I love it a lot. Um, the drink is that enough, or do you want to know more? <laughs> Oh no, that's fine. Okay. That's that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Okay. I'm I I just left New York after 35 years and moved to North Carolina one year ago. So I'm a little bit jealous that you're there okay. and I'm not. <laughs> Go ahead. What's your well, drink? You're always invited to come over. No, no worries. Thank you. I might <laughs> so, take you up um, on that. I'll be there next Friday. Sure, Go sure, ahead. Sure. <laughs> Excellent. So actually, yeah, the drink. Um, so what I do in the morning, I like to go up to our roof. So from our roof, we can see the whole skyline, like, you know, from like all of Manhattan, from the very southern tip of Manhattan up to Harlem, essentially. And I like to go up there and have my first uh, cup of coffee on the roof, which is why I also noticed that it's actually really um, winter is coming in New York. So this morning it was pretty cold. Yep. <laughs> but um, so it, it's not. So much about the drink itself. It's more about. It's, for me, it's really more about the, the the moment and being up there and looking at the city, which looks always different every day. And the the, the, the clouds are different, the light is different, everything is kind of new. And that's why I like that that drink in the morning a lot. It's not. I know it's not not the most original thing um, uh, or beverage in the world, a coffee. But it's still. Um, if I if I'm honest, it's the one drink I really 
would uh, put out there as my favorite one. That's lovely. And, I love coffee uh, with ambiance. Thank you for that. And what, what is Work uh, Awesome? <laughs> so Work Awesome is essentially, so when I moved to New York, we, um, I, have, I, I had a background as a, as a writer. Um, I wrote for Wired a lot um, on technology and how it's affecting people's lives and, and, and work and, 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 and all that. And uh, when I moved here, I met two, two gentlemen, uh, Felix and Amal, and I um, started a conference um, together with them on the future of work because we felt like it's a topic that's so important and uh, needs to be discussed more um, and people need to get more aware of things that are happening and they, they should start thinking about the future of work um, in a more conscious way So they, because only then they have the opportunity to actually shape it, right? If you don't think about it, you, it, it will just happen to you. You will not be an agent. Mm-hmm. You will not have any uh, influence on the future of work and if we want to create a positive outcome, a positive version of the future of work, um, then we should start thinking about it. And, and that's really a very simple idea we had, and we invited a bunch of people and in a very you know, improvised kind of setting, which was quite, quite, quite nice uh, in, in here in New York. And, uh, and then this became a, um, a series of conferences, and now we also brought it to Berlin last year, and it's going to happen in Berlin again this year. And it's really um, become, um, you know, not only bigger, but also um, really kind of a forum for all kinds of people who are shaping the world of work um, uh, tomorrow um, in a way already uh, today. So we, we, we will invite all kinds of different people on stage from different verticals, different areas, different industries, and make them talk to each other um, instead of having like one topic, like only AI or only whatever, only robotics or only uh, the future of, um, you know, learning. Mm-hmm. We kind of bind all these different topics together because we believe, you know, the future of work is actually uh, a lot of futures of work. And it's interesting to look at the intersections of all these different topics instead of just focusing on one. So our, the, the daily, um, uh, the day that, that is that conference is always a very, very wild mix of all kinds of different topics. But in the end, uh, combined, I think uh, they give you a very good idea of what's actually going to happen in the future of work. And that's essentially the, the idea. And it's, yeah, it's really a lot of fun. And um, as a journalist, we used, to be, we used to write and then send the article somewhere and then it would get printed and then, you know, that, that's it. Now you, I can interview people on stage and that, that's, that's, you know, really exciting and, and more lively. But the most exciting thing is I can put the experts in touch with the uh, recipients. So, you know, the readers couldn't, could never ask something to the expert that was in an article or an interview. Now uh, the readers, so to speak, who now are participants of the conference, they can interact with the experts directly. And, um, and that's a lot of fun to facilitate these conversations between different people, between the experts, between the, the audience, and kind of breaking down the barrier between people on stage and people off stage. So we try to do it as, um, you know, as, uh, as active and participatory for the um, participants as possible. So, um, yeah, that's really a new kind of passion that we discovered, and um, I'm enjoying it a lot. And we, we've been selling out, so I think um, the people who come to our conferences are also enjoying it a lot. So that's I making me quite happy. I bet they are. <laughs> and, and, Lars, I wanted to say two words for what you're doing. How human. Sure. It's just like, how human. <laughs> that's right. The idea yeah 
of getting people together and letting them talk. Well, what do you think we do here on Game Changers Radio? We get people together and we talk. Mm. It's virtual, but I love the idea. Well, I'm, I'm going to come see what you do one of these days. I will make the trip up to New York just to visit one yeah, of your conferences. one in Berlin and one in New York and within in the next four weeks. So you should have a chance to, to come and visit. When Might I come like to, to New York. Okay, I'll send, Thank you. I'll send you. I'm happy to send you a ticket. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> An offer like this, I, I, I've never had. I will talk at. We'll talk off the air. Thank you very much. Before we right. consume this sure. this show, Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer, I have the same questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink? Does it have scenery attached to it, like Lars' drink? And number three, what is Vorsprung at work? Why is Vorsprung all in capital letters, and why and how did you help to create the company? Go ahead, Christian. Okay. Well, I'm in Adelaide in South Australia, which is, uh, to me, a very emotional place. I used to be an exchange student back 29 years ago, and I've come back for a visit. It's actually my 10th visit back here. I'm sort of half Australian, as you may also hear. I'm uh, putting a bit of the Australian twang into into this uh, radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, 1.58 uh, in the morning. It's the middle of the night. Everybody's sleeping oh. in the house, but I'm up on the radio, and it's a great thing. So I'm in Australia. Thank um, you. <laughs> my favorite drink in the world is a South African Sauvignon Blanc by a special winery I don't want to mention. I'm a huge lover of South Africa. As a matter of fact, probably of the Southern Hemisphere. I, just, I love the light and I love the warmth and when I'm sitting down in South Africa and when I'm sitting on that particular Sauvignon Blanc, my life is good. I've always been a very sort of avid traveler. Uh, I was fortunate enough for my parents you know, to bring me into the world at very early age. Um, I've been all around it and um, you know, I always associate places with, with food, with people, with, you know, everything that sort of makes life worthwhile. And that particular Sauvignon Blanc is just, I don't know, the best I've ever come across. And Christian, whenever I on it. Christian, yeah. we, want, we want to know the name of the wine. We do it all the time here on Game Changers. Tell us what is well, the name of the wine. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the Grote Constantia, G-R- G-R-O-O-T, Constantia. And uh, that is, to me, the best Sauvignon Blanc in the world. I don't want to make any any uh, any advertisement for it, but for me, it's just the greatest. And that's a very emotional thing. It's, it's also the first Sauvignon Blanc I ever had, um, so that might have to do with it also. And uh, incidentally, it was the wine that I was having when I proposed to my now wife. So there's many Aww. very emotional things attached to this wine, and to me, it's the favorite drink in the world. I found it so, online. I found yeah. it at uh, I found it at a website called wine-searcher.com and let's see where else did I found it? I found it at uh, wineshop.cape. I found it yeah. at bottle shop. I found it at uh, vivino.com. I, it's all over the internet. So anybody looking it up, it's Groot, G-R-O-O-T. Next word, Constantia, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-A. And you're on your own spelling Sauvignon Blanc because I know how to spell that too. Caroline's Wine, Binnies.com. It's all over the place. Sounds like the secret is out, Kristen. A lot of people like the wine. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. If you ever think of proposing to your girlfriend, I'm trusting you. You select that wine, and everything's going to be good. So, I'll, I'll tell you recommendations for that wine. I'll tell the next man who's true dares to propose to me that he has to do it over a bottle of Groot Constantia Sauvignon Blanc. There you go. I'm I'm, I'm ready. It. I'm ready. Okay. And Sounds tell me about your company. Fantastic to me. <laughs> for for okay. sprung work. Go ahead. 
at the at the Ford Prong at work, um, the company was started about four years ago, and and my two co-founders and myself, we are all product of corporate lives. We've all excelled in our careers in big companies, and we all found that the structures in big companies are sort of in the way of work, in the way of value creation, and uh, we were all pretty sick of not only the way that work was being lived in these big companies, we were also sick of reading about how the future of work should, what it should look like. Everything's been written, everything's been said, all sorts of conferences and everything has been held about what, what, should, what things should be like. And we said, okay, we need to make this tangible. We need to make this uh, sensible. We need to make people feel what the future of work actually looks like. And that's what we do. First thing is where we're prototyping basically the future of work or the presence of work with human beings in uh, corporations. And from there, we institutionalize like corporate learning and, um, you know, send companies on the way of permanent transformation. And that's the aim of the exercise of Fortune Network. We say the business of business is people, and we reckon that um, we want to make things, you know, tangible. We want to make the world, the future of work, um, tangible to everybody and creating it in actual live uh, circumstances and not on paper. And we wanted to really create reality. And we have. And it's been going wonderfully. And I've certainly found my calling. I mean, some people in life might find it earlier. Some might find it later. I found it at, uh, you know, the beginning of my 40s. And um, after, you know, a very successful career in, in HR, a corporate career, I am now a very, very happy entrepreneur. And um, I, I couldn't live a happier life than I'm living. As far as that's concerned, I've definitely found my calling. And working at work, to me, is... Uh, is uh, it's wonderful. That is wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Are companies open to this idea of what you're bringing to them? Do companies find you? Do they say, wow, we're ready to reactivate the humanity in our workforce and, and empower people and bring people back to being people again and we're going to get rid of all the old rules and processes? Or is this something that they need to say, oh, our competitor is doing that. Maybe we should too. How do people find out about this, Christian? Well, let's face it. I mean, there's also there's all sorts of ways why you can why you can uh, embark onto a path like that. And often it's fear. Often it's like the fact that that you are not innovative enough, that yes. you're not effective enough, that you're not creating enough ideas, that you're not um, uh, transformable enough. And you know, all the big companies they really suffer from from competition of of, of small competition um, businesses that are actually run much more in a much more agile way. And they want to become more agile. They want to become faster. And they want uh, just to become more innovative. And that's most of the, the part they're embarking on and uh, we'll help them become that. And um, I don't think, for the most part, it's not like a human-driven um, idea. It's mm-hmm. actually, you know, it's, it's the pure sense of having to change because reality nowadays has become so complex and so fast that companies need to go down different paths and, uh, and then we're helping companies, you know, come from A to B, B being permanent transformability. We believe it doesn't really matter what you do as a company in 2025. What's important is that you can do something else in 2026 as and mm-hmm. be as changeable, as transformable, as complex and, uh, and versatile as the markets. So um, um, Thank that's you. the end of the exercise. Thank you. Very much appreciate that. Pleasure to know you. And now let's go to our third panel. We've got Gunter Pecht waiting so patiently. Gunter, you're up. Where are you today? What do you love to drink? A little story, if you don't mind. And what is your role at SAP? Go ahead, Gunter. How do you know I'm waiting patiently? 
<laughs> because wow. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. You, you gave me an opening here. I'm going <laughs> to jump right in because Laura sent us a quote from Rainer Maria Rilke from the poem Patience, and I just remembered the words. So, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So, I'm in between the two panelists. So, I'm sitting here in the southern part of Germany in a little town with 1,400 people sitting on the balcony of my house and looking down at the valley onto the river of Neckar, a uh, beautiful view there. And uh, what I actually like most, I'm a German craft beer. I'm a big fan of craft beer, and I enjoy these, um, this, this new movement of all these local breweries that deliver different tastes on their beer. So all that standard, standardized beer now is past me, and uh, I enjoyed uh, experimenting with all these new uh, uh, local breweries, building different tastes on craft beer. So beer is one of my favorites. And of course, I'm SAP. Uh, coffee is also on my top list of, uh, okay. of, of my drinks. Yeah. Do you have a favorite coffee, um, favorite, favorite way you take your coffee, Gunter? Favorite way I take my coffee, of course. Yeah, do you have a favorite way with, uh, I don't know, uh, I, we used to call it high test, meaning high caffeine and, and nothing in it, or do you have a, a favorite brand of coffee you like, you'd like to share with us? Uh, not a really a dedicated brand, but uh, I, I like these Italian machines that make it fresh, right? Okay. Um, and uh, I like it black, pure. Me too. Okay, tell me what your role and, is at SAP. Um, what do you do in the future of work at SAP? I actually founded a future work within SAP. Uh, I started my career at SAP about 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, I'm driving this since two years, three years now. So I'm from uh, the innovation area of SAP. Um, and I'm extremely passionate about... Uh, helping the world through SAP software, potentially, uh, to change the way on how we deal with people. So all our focus is, when the past uh, software that uh, we provided for companies to manage and run, run their company was more focused on the company and the organization and compliance and our standardization, we focus on the people on their well-being, on how we can support them in growing and how we can support them in uh, having fun at work and how we can support them in feeding some kind of purpose uh, in work. And that's these kind of solutions that we create for our customers. Uh, so, pure focus on people uh, and how we help them to, uh, to unfold their full potential. I think uh, there's so much potential uh, lying there in companies which is not used up because we treat people not not adequately and not treat them as individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I'm so passionate about, that we could help through software. And, of course, like part, with partners like, like, like Christian's uh, company to transform the industry and transform the company. Thank you very much. 
Nice to meet you as well, Gunter. And I will just tell my audience that and tell my three panelists that I am not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days. And I think you already figured out why. I'm just happy talking to the three of you. I have to do a shout out. We have a lady on listening on uh, on mute, listening only. Her name is Sandra Teal. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. And she helped to put together this wonderful panel and, and get all the information to me. So I, Sandra, we appreciate you very much. And she works with Upen Barve, who is the sponsor of this series at SAP. If you're just tuning in, this is the Future of Work with Game Changers Radio. We're talking about staying human, yes, in a high-tech world. We all know that is all true, and that's what we're trying to do. My special guests are Lars Gaeta, Dr. Christian Kugelmeier, and Gunter Pecht. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back... We're going to do uh, an additionally deep dive into our topic of what it means to stay human in our high-tech world. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace and dimensions of digitalization are moving faster than ever, and the future of companies will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to pressures to become thought leaders. The definition of future success is being shaped by factors as diverse as insights from employment and organizational trends, the new global pool of distributed skilled talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of work and the future of change. The Future of Work is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to The Future of Work with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Work with Game Changers. And we're back talking about the future of work, staying human in a high-tech world. Yes, we are compatible with high-tech, but the question is how do we keep our sense of empathy and passion and innovation and affection for people? Aha, that's the question on the table today. I'm speaking with Lars Gaeta at Work Awesome, Dr. Christian Kugelmeier at Vorsprung at Work, and Gunter Pecht at The Future of Work at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Looking at notes, Lars Gaeta sent me before the show, and I'm going to combine a couple of topics here. I think they're not only relevant to our discussion, but they are, uh, Lars, I believe they're top of mind for our audience. So you say, in the past, the fear of mass unemployment due to technological advances was always proven wrong. However, you add, the machines will first take over jobs which have been forcing humans to behave like machines. Oh, my. Lars, why don't you tell us what this all means, please? 
Yeah, uh, sure. So um, I think what I meant with the first um, kind of idea is that, you know, the fear of unemployment due to technolo technological change is nothing nothing new, right? I mean, we've seen it happening all the time. Whenever there was a new technology coming up, um, people were, of course, afraid of what it will um, mean for them. What, what does it mean for their jobs and um, for their futures? And uh, that started when, you know, when the, the weaving process was automated and, and there were literally like riots and people were um, going into factories and, and uh, um, setting fire on, on the machines there because they saw them as their enemies. And, and they thought, you know, there will be crazy mass unemployment due to uh, automation of what they, what they were doing before. And that actually wasn't true. So the whole economy changed. Um, products got cheaper. There was a completely new demand for services and products that nobody had foreseen before. And actually, the, the whole society was, um, yeah, pretty much better off um, due to these automation processes. So, um, I th and I think the, the same fear happened when the automobile uh, came up and all, and you can, uh, the same fear happened when the factories uh, started using robots to and, and assemble things, right, or manufacture things. And, and again, there was not that crazy uh, mass unemployment that everybody may have suspected. You can actually look at old magazine titles from Der Spiegel or other magazines that constantly, mm -hmm. like, again and again and again, they would, they would play that card and say, oh, we're all going to lose our jobs. But essentially, it never happened. Um, and I think that that's something we have to have in mind, um, that, that history, history teaches us to stay calm. And um, so far, we've always come up with something new, something creative, some new mm -hmm. ideas, some new services, some new yeah. needs, some new um, wishes we had that could be fulfilled um, uh, in a new way by new technologies or the companies that are using those. But, of course, it doesn't mean it's... And that, that should, you know, relax us a little bit, but at the same time, it's not a it's not a law, you know. It's not necessarily always going to be like that just because it has always been like that. And, um, and there are a few people who, who say, you know, we, we should be a bit worried because the the machines are not only uh, able to or capable of doing mechanical things anymore, they can also do cognitive things now. They can mm -hmm. read and they can understand language. They can process huge amounts of data. They can derive their own logical, you know, conclusions from, from, from things. They can learn. And so the, uh, the question is, what are we going to come up with? What, what is the new thing that we will be able to do that, that the machines won't be able to do? And I think that is something that, uh, that is, you know, um, that we will have to find out. We, we, we don't have the, the perfect answer yet. And um, um, I think what, what is a good idea, though, is to focus on the things that we are good at and that as humans and that, um, that they're making us, you know, very special. It doesn't make sense to, um, um, to try to compete with machines in coding, for example. I mean, mm -hmm. a few days, three years ago, everybody was like, oh, we all have to learn coding now. But that's not true. Machines will learn how to code themselves. So I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to, to, to learn coding necessarily. I mean, certainly some sort of coding is still super important and valuable. But I think we should rather, um, instead of getting into the competition with machines, we, we should try to focus on the things that they will definitely not be able to do. Like empathy is a very different, difficult thing to automate, right? Or mm -hmm. listening to someone or teaching someone something on a very personal level or... Um, understanding someone and, 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 um, and taking care of them. So everything that really makes us human in the, in the, in the, in the core is probably something we should focus on in, uh, when we're looking at the new competition between us and these new smart machines.
Thank you, Lars. I want to get Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer in here. Christian, talk to me. Agree or disagree? You can go either way or can, right, right in the middle. Go ahead. Yeah, no, just, just to completely agree. And I'm, I even have an, an example of, of, of the present um, to second what Lars is saying. I mean, we're working for a big uh, automotive company in Germany. They're actually de-digitalizing certain areas, as in they found that machines can't do the job as well as a human being can because it just requires skills beyond what a machine can do. And, uh, you know, these are trends that we see in, in different places even. So, you know, the human, we are so superior. We are so superior to machines in all sorts of ways. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the economics are starting to realize that. And the human factor is become, going to become hugely um, more, more relevant in the workplace in the future because of that, because of everything that Lars was saying. Intuition, feeling, our brain is largely undiscovered, and, and all the connection between the thinking and the feeling is something that, that the machine can't have. Not to this point. It's going to be a long way before it, before it can. So I hugely agree with Lars. Thank you very much. Gunter Peck, join us, please. Agree or disagree with either or both of the gentlemen? I agree with both of them. I mean, uh, as last mentioned, already 50 years ago, there was the, the prediction that until 2020, we will only work 20 hours a week. I know how the rest of this uh, team feels, but I'm a few hours away from 20 work hours a week. Um, and when I talk to customers, uh, they, I, I receive uh, the same feedback. We need the machine and automation to cover the work that's already there, which, are, which cannot be done with the existing workforce because it's so much. Uh, just a few facts in, in the U.S., the labor market misses uh, 6.4 uh, million people at the, at the labor market. In Germany, we have 1.4 million, I think, open positions there at the labor market. face extreme skill shortage these days, so I don't think that work is going to go away. Jobs will go away, yes. But not work. So I believe we uh, will see new jobs as as always. And um, the thing that uh, we all have to to uh, to be ready for that this change and the speed of change it will further increase and it will stay. So we we as people have to stay curious, open for for new things and. Uh, mm-hmm. Stay adaptable. Uh, I mean, that's one of the key uh, things of, of the evolution, adapt to the new circumstances. And that's the thing that we all have to, to be open to as, as people. Thank you very much. Very good insights on that. I'm going to move along because I want to make sure we cover a few more topics. Uh, Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer, I'm looking at your notes. A couple of things stand out to me. I'm just going to read... Three sentences from three of your your statements you sent me before the show, and I'm going to let you pick where you want to go. Number one, you say, high tech will conquer complicatedness. Humans will conquer complexity. That's the first one. The second thing you say, which is interesting, is reducing complexity means killing opportunity. Complexity is the business opportunity of the future if dealt with in adequate ways. And number three, you throw another ringer in here. You say, efficiency is a commodity. Intuition is tomorrow's currency of success. Machines do not have intuition. Christian, where do you want to go? Sorry I threw so much at you, but these were all so interesting. Well, I'm probably going to go into the complexity issue for a little while because, I mean, that's what, what most people perceive as being a huge drama nowadays. I mean, if, if everybody were to, uh, if we could sort of uh, erase complexity, we'd probably do it. But yet, we're the only beings that can react to complexity adequately. Anything that's complicated, anything that a machine can foresee is going to be digitalized anyway. That's exactly what Lars was saying earlier. I mean, 
Uh, that's the way that basically economics have run the last 100 years. We've foreseen things, we've made plans, we've made regimes, and then we've just let the machine run. That's not going to be happening in the future because complexity is just, that is the unforeseen. That is something that comes around as a surprise. And there's nothing as apt as the human brain to deal with complexity. So what I'm saying, bottom line, is anything that can be planned for is going to be digitalized and leave that up to machines because they'll be able to do the better job. But anything that remains complex, as in um, subject to surprise, needs to be dealt with, uh, with humans. And because we live in a complex world, and that's not going to change, at least not for the time being. I can't see it. Uh, the human factor in the workforce and in the future of work becomes so much more relevant because we are just not able to foresee what's going on. And I can't program machines in a way to foresee the unforeseeable. And it has to be left up to human beings. And, um, and that is a fantastic chance for any business that, re- that realizes that, that the unforeseen shall not be subject to any calculation of machines, but, you know, dealt with humans, uh, these companies are going to excel, and we're seeing it right now already. Those companies that are putting their people first to actually deal with surprise are the ones that are more successful. So leave complicatedness to machines and complexity to the human being. Thank you very much. Gunter Peck, please join us. Let's give you you a minute and a half and a minute and a half for Lars because I want to get one more topic in here from Gunter's notes. Gunter, what do you think about what Christian mm-hmm. said, please? I'd like to add one thing that's pretty important. Yes. The future. Uh, it, it sounded like uh, uh, only human, uh, the human brains can deal with complexity. Um, I think we have to add one thing is uh, we have to allow experimentation because uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the whole business economy is so unpredictable as, as, as Christian laid out mm-hmm. and we live in such a complex world. Sometimes it's also about luck. But if you don't get luck, uh, you're not lucky if you don't experiment and try and allow failures. I think that's a key component that we need in organizations that we allow failures and experimentation. Thank you. Lars, quick, I'm going to give you 60 seconds because mm-hmm. I have something very important here in Gunter's notes I want to get in before we go to our predictions in two minutes. Lars, thoughts on what we just spoke about, please. Um, I think, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I can also, also just agree. I mean... <laughs> It's okay. pretty much a one page. I think the, the question is really um, how do we do these things uh, actionable, right? I mean, how do we, as, as Christian mentioned earlier, how do we translate these knowledge, like the ideas we have about what we need to do, how do we actually do it? Like, how can we learn new things or how can we learn new skills that embody exactly that, what we've just mentioned, that being more human or being essentially as human as possible to, to have an um, advantage when it comes to competing with machines? And I think that's the next step we need to understand and we need to think about. Thank you very much. Gunter, I want to sneak in two more topics. One more topic, actually, in your notes here. Very interesting. You say Douglas McGregor developed the so-called Theory X style of management, assuming the typical employee, and nobody out there, don't don't get offended, but I'm just quoting this from Gunter's notes, assuming the typical employee has little ambition, avoids responsibility, and is only motivated by self-interest. And then we contrast that with the newer Theory Y management style, Assuming employees are intrinsically motivated, employees work to better themselves and can find pleasure in their work, and that means a shift in leadership style, encouraging a participatory democratic decision-making style. 
coaching people instead of directly supervising them. All I can say is, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful? But I think I'm living that in, in my role here. So, Gunter, why don't you just give us about uh, 60 seconds on this, and then, Lars, get ready with your prediction, and Christian, and then I'll finish up with Gunter. So, Gunter, what does this all mean to us? Actually, surprisingly enough, this statement and this theory and this uh, research is already more than 50 years old. So, wow! <laughs> so, uh, it's in the 1960 uh, uh, where Dr. McCrary wrote this out, and it's all about how I look at people as a reader, right? Mm-hmm. If, I, if I have the attitude when I look at people, they are lazy, they only work under pressure, and, and uh, if I have to force them to work, I mean, then... Your leadership style is a result of it, right? It's authoritarian, um, and you control their, their, their behaviors and, and their work. And um, actually, the result is that people don't give their best because they're forced to, right? And then managers think, okay, I knew they are lazy. I knew that they need pressure. I have to increase pressure, right? And it gets some kind of self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. On the other hand, he figured out that um, if you look at people as educated adult people who take over responsibility and they want to achieve things and they want to be successful, then the reaction of people is completely different. So they, they, they do their job, uh, they, they give their best, uh, they even uh, uh, give, give their full potential to, uh, in their work if, if the work is reasonable and sensible to them. Um, and that's, this releases also leaders and managers in controlling people because people feel responsible and they want to succeed and they do their best and they, they take over the jobs that have to be done in, in the interest of, of the company. So that's the theory and I wonder uh, about Christian's uh, 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 statement on this. Uh, it's 60 years old. Uh, science knows this in 60 years. Uh, business still ignores it. That's the interesting part of it. Thank you very much, Gunter. I have to move quickly to get everybody's predictions, and we've got about oh, 45 seconds apiece. So, gentlemen, let's keep it really, really tight. Let's go around the table to Lars Gaeta. Lars, what do you see will be changing, let's say, between now and 2025, if you'd like to go that far out? Predictions, 45 seconds, go. Um, I hope, and I, I actually do believe that machines will have taken over all the uh, routine work, you know, the work that kind of forced us to work like machines before and now finally machines will do the work that machines can do best and we will have time to do other things and hopefully that will also mean that we redefine what work actually means and we will also focus on family work, we will all focus on voluntary work and all these things mm-hmm. that now have been out of our focus a little bit and maybe we will have time and resources to focus on these very human ways of working in the future. That's my hope and, and, and my optimistic uh, um, perspective on that. And I agree with you on that. Unpaid workers, volunteers, family caregivers, yes, we need to acknowledge them. We used to call women housewives, and now we call them domestic engineers. Give me a break. Pay, pay, the, pay the person who runs a household. No, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Dr. Christian Kugelmeier, 45 seconds. What's your prediction? My prediction is that HR is going to disappear or HR is going to fundamentally have to change. We're not talking about steering and controlling people anymore and shoveling full-time equivalents around. We're talking about unleashing the potentials in enterprises, and that's the only role that HR can take or HR is going to go. I reckon that HR's future has to be the scouting of talent and you know, the, the assembling of you know, very volatile teams that will work together, dissolve, you know, work again together in a different manner and everything 
anything. So HR will have to leave its bureaucratic ways of working, otherwise it's going to disappear. That's my prediction. Thank you very much. Oh, be still my heart. Gunter Pecht, I have uh, 35 seconds with your name on them. Go ahead. <laughs> my prediction beep, is beep. that until 2025, uh, that companies who don't uh, uh, adapt to the new complexity in the world, who change their management systems, who change the way on how they organize and, and deal with people, they will simply disappear. My prediction. Thank you very much. Short and sweet. Appreciate it. I want to thank my three panelists, Lars Gaeta at work. Awesome. Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer at Vorsprung at work and Gunter Pecht at SAP Future of Work. And of course, Sandra Thiel at SAP for putting this together. Sandra did a great job. Good panelists, good thinkers on their feet or wherever they're standing and great ideas for our Future of Work episode. And Upin Barve, the sponsor of the series. Thank you so much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio on the business channel for getting us on the air and keeping us here and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like Lars Gaeta at Work Awesome just like Dr. Christian Kugelmeyer at Vorsprung at Work and just like Gunter Pecht at SAP Future of Work have a great day bye bye Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Work with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.